How many of you, when you first started having children, and some of you that's had multiple children, you can identify with this, but how many of you, when you had your first child, I know like with Jamie and I, when we had our first, our first kid, we could not take enough pictures. You know, we got like 659,000 pictures of our first child. And, and how many of you know the second child that you have, you're lucky if you have half that many. You know, that's what some of you are thinking. Yeah, we got 659,000 of our first one. The second one, maybe 100,000. The third one, six. <laughs> and then if you got four, you don't even know if you have any pictures or not. But it's, uh, it's, it's an honor, it really is, to be a parent. Um, now, I'm going I'm to share something with you here, and I'm going I'm to put a qualifier on this before I share this. And that qualifier is, a woman wrote this, Okay. So ladies, don't get angry with me this morning when I, when I share this because just remember now, a woman wrote this, I didn't. But when it comes to first child, second child, third child, things change over time. Matter of fact, look at this, with maternity clothes. With your first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms your pregnancy. You just you can't wait to get started. Second baby, you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. You're like, I'm staying in these puppies till I have to just get out of them. And then your third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. <laughs> I promise I didn't write that. A lady wrote this, that qualifier out there. When it comes to going out, on going out, you know, that first time that you go out after you've had that first baby, you call home every five minutes checking on that baby, making sure that everything's okay. Your second baby, just before you walk out, you remember to leave a number where you can be reached. Your third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood. <laughs> On swallowing coins, anybody ever had to deal with that? On swallowing coins, the first baby, you rush the child to the hospital and demand x-rays. The second baby, you carefully watch for that coin to pass. The third baby, you're going to deduct it out of their allowance. <laughs> this is getting a little ridiculous here. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, that's funny, I don't care who you are. <laughs> the Bible says that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So it's okay to laugh sometimes, isn't it? It's okay to have a little bit of fun. But this morning, I want to talk to you. I, I had, a, a few months ago before school started, we invited a lot of the teachers in our area to come in for a luncheon. And what I wanted these teachers to do is I wanted them to help me to identify what the biggest needs of our community are so that we can be better about addressing and meeting those needs. And the overwhelming response that I got from all of those teachers was that the biggest need in our community was the need for parenting classes. That there are just so many in our community that doesn't have a clue when it comes to parenting. And so this morning, even though I'm going to give you some principles that relate to whatever relationship you are in in life, because all of us here today are in some kind of a relationship. You're either married or you have children, or children have parents, children have friends. We have coworkers, we have neighbors, all kind of relationships. And these principles that I'm going to give you this morning, they will work regardless of whatever relationship you are in today. But I am going to address it more towards parenthood 
because I believe that that is a huge issue and need in our community and also I believe it's a need in our church. And so what I'm going to give you today is some principles. I'm going to give you some family essentials. How many of you know when you go to a circus, there are just some things you expect to see when you go to a circus? You know, a circus is not a circus without clowns. And a circus is not a circus without lion tamers. And a circus is not a circus without the high wire wire act and and the juggler. There are just some things that make a circus a circus. And God wants us to know that there are some things that when it comes to Christian families, that there are some essentials that make Christian families Christian families and that make healthy families healthy. And so today I'm going to talk to you about some family essentials. And the first of these family essentials that I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about an authentic faith. We'll get to that in just a moment. Look at this passage of Scripture here in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. And if you're going to talk about family and parenting, you've got to go to Proverbs. And Proverbs 24 and 3 says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. So if we're going to have the kind of family, the kind of home that God wants us to have, we've got to have wisdom And if we want that home, that family to be established, then we've got to have understanding, wisdom and understanding. It's not just more training. It's not just more instruction we need. We need wisdom and we need understanding. And this next passage of Scripture is very important as it relates to that because Proverbs 2 verse 6 says that the Lord gives wisdom and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So if we need wisdom and understanding to have the kind of family that God wants us to have, where are we going to get that wisdom and understanding from? The Bible says it comes from the Lord. And that's why it's so important that we begin this morning talking about an authentic faith. An authentic faith as if there were an inauthentic faith. And guess what? There is. There is an inauthentic faith. You say, well, what's the difference between an authentic faith and an inauthentic faith? Well, the difference between an authentic faith and an inauthentic faith is the same difference between a relationship with God and religion. And listen, what our kids need to see, because here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that a lot of people haven't figured out yet that God is more than just about coming to church on Sunday. We've got to allow what God wants to do in our lives to translate into every area of our life and every day of our lives. So the difference between an authentic faith and inauthentic faith is the difference between a relationship with God and religion. Religion is just marking things off the list. We go to church because that's just what we do. We read our Bible because that's just what we do. We don't read it in order for it to read us and to change us. We just read it because that's what we're obligated to do. We pray because that's what we're obligated. We just check these things off of our list. And if we're not careful, we get up every morning, we rush through it, say, got my three, got my three chapters in today, got a, a five-minute prayer in today. But I'm telling you what our kids need to see is they need to see the real deal, not just on Sunday. Our kids need to see the real deal on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday as well as on Sunday. Amen? 
I believe that the Apostle Paul gives us the best description and the best definition of what religion looks like in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. And this scripture is not going to be on the screen, so you need to write it down. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says that in the last days, here's what's going to happen. He said that people are going to have a form of godliness, but that they are going to deny the power thereof. In other words, outwardly, it's going to look like they have a relationship with God, but it's nothing more than religion. And how do we know that it's nothing more than religion? It's nothing more than religion because God's power does not work through religion. Do I need to say that again? God's power does not work through religion. So when you are trying to live a religious life, you are denying. You're not giving an opportunity for the power of God to be working in your life. And you're not giving an opportunity for the power of God to be working in your marriage and in your family. Because the power of God only works through a relationship with God. You've got to have a relationship with Him. It's not just about following the rules, but it's having a relationship with God. When young people come to me wanting to get married, or when those who are married come to me wanting some, some marriage counseling, or when an individual comes to me needing counseling, they can sit there and they can talk about all of their issues, but I just have one question for them every time. How's your relationship with God? Because if you're not going to let me give you the tool that I know is going to work to help your relationship, we can meet for a month of Sundays. We can meet for 1,400 sessions and still things are not going to change. It's only when you are in a relationship, an authentic, real, genuine relationship with God that the power of God, because a relationship with God, listen to me, it is dynamic. A relationship with God is powerful. He gives you the power that you need to be the husband and the mama that you are and the wife that you need to be he gives you the power that you need to be the the, the 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 father and the mother that you need to be and the only way we can have that kind of a power is through an authentic faith a relationship with God now if I don't give you anything else if you just go home and do this one thing here today it can totally change the dynamic of your family and the dynamic of your marriage Listen to what the scripture tells us in Proverbs 14, 26. Reverence for God, a relationship with God, gives a man deep strength, power. His children then have a place of refuge and security. And isn't that what we're looking for for our kids? A place of refuge and a place of security. And when does it happen? When mama and daddy have a relationship with God and get the power that they need to be what God's called them to be. Look at this passage of Scripture in Joshua 24 and 15. You know it well. Where Joshua looked at the nation of Israel and said to them, you've got to decide. There's all kinds of gods in this world that you can serve, but you've got to decide which God you're going to serve. And he said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord we talked about it last week the first thing that we have to do if we want this three ring circus to not be chaotic but to have order we have got to make sure that Jesus is the ringmaster of our family that Jesus is the Lord of our family so it begins with an authentic faith we will serve the Lord but it doesn't stop there look at this second essential intentional schedules and some of this is going to be very practical today but I want you to stay with me because I'm going to close the service a little bit differently this morning and I believe that God has a personal word 
for every parent in this room here today. I believe that God is going to heal some relationships in this room here today before we leave. But another essential, another absolute that must be working in the home is intentional schedules. Now you've heard me say it over and over again and you should know it by now that time is the most precious resource that God has given us. It's more precious than money because you can lose a dollar today and make that dollar back tomorrow. But when you lose a second, it's gone forever. You never get it back. So we have got to be wise as it relates to how we are going to use our time, what we're going to do with our time and what we're not going to do with our time. And I'm telling you, relationships and homes are all messed up because of busyness. If you're so busy that you don't have time for your family, if you're so busy that you don't have time for your children, listen to your pastor this morning. You're too busy. If you, if you don't believe me, look at the latest study that Cornell University did, an Ivy League school that recently did a study that revealed, listen, that the average father in America spends seven minutes a day of quality time with their children. Seven minutes a day. That's 49 minutes a week. That's not even an hour a week that parents are spending quality time with their children. And it's even worse if that father has preschool children because for preschool children, a father is spending an average of 37.7 seconds a day of quality time with their children. That's barely five minutes a day or five minutes a week that, 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 that fathers are spending quality time with their preschoolers. What's going on in our family? We're too busy. And so what happens when we become too busy? Who's raising our children? Because we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to have to entertain them. We don't want to have conversation. What do we do? We stick one of these in front of them. Or we stick an iPad in front of them. Or we stick them in front of a computer. Or we stick them in front of a television. And sadly, if we're not careful, the culture today, the media is raising our children. I, I want to introduce you this morning. Or let me say it this way. I want to reintroduce you today to an activity that maybe some of you have forgotten about. An activity that can save your marriage, that can save your family, that can save your relationships. And here's what that activity is called, conversation. How many of you remember that? I don't see any hands going up. How many of you remember that? Conversation. It's so far removed, a lot of people don't even know what it is, so let me remind you. It's talk between two or more people in which thoughts, feelings, and ideas are expressed, questions are asked and answered, or news and information is exchanged. I don't want my children getting their answers from culture. I want my children getting their answers from what the Word of God has to say about these issues, and the only way we can teach them that is to have a conversation with them. And we don't need the media to do that. <laughs> Look at these passages. Psalm 39 and 6 says, We are merely moving shadows. Strangers passing in the night. All of our busy rushing ends in what? Nothing. We're busier than we've ever been and we're accomplishing less than we've ever accomplished. Busy. 
ends in nothing. Look at Ecclesiastes 4 and 6. Wonderful advice. He said, it's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. Intentional schedules, guys. Making time for your marriage, making time for your children, making time for your family, making time for the important people in your life. Intentional schedules. Let's move on to essential number three, and this one might surprise you a little bit. Discovering purpose. Now, parents, hear me this morning. One of your primary responsibilities as a parent is to help your child discover what their purpose in life is. It's to help them answer that question, what am I here for? And see, the reason I talked about authentic faith first is because you'll never know what your purpose is outside of a relationship with God. You just won't. He's the one who created you. He's the one who created the owner's manual on your life. And the only way you'll discover your purpose is when you get connected to the one who made you. Because the creator's the one who knows the purpose for what he created. Does that make sense? And so we have to have authentic faith. And not only that, we have to have intentional schedules because if we don't know what our purpose in life is, then we're going to spend our life doing things that don't amount to anything. Because when you know what your purpose is, it helps you with your time. It helps you to know what you should be doing, and it helps you know what you should not be doing. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul said, I know what my purpose is. I know what the number one thing is in my life, and I'm not going to spend my life on things that are not important, on things that God did not call me to do. My only aim is to make sure that I am preaching the gospel, the good news of God's grace everywhere else I go. That's all I'm concerned about is the one thing that God's called me to do. I feel sorry. I really do. I feel sorry for people who are good at a lot of stuff. And the reason why is because if you're good at a lot of stuff, it's hard for you to hone in on what the one thing is. Because you're good at so many things. Us folk that don't know how to do a lot of stuff, it's a whole lot easier for us to discover our purpose. Because we can narrow it down to two or three things because we're only good at two or three things. But it's our responsibility, parents, to help our children discover what is that one thing. You cannot be great at everything or good at everything, but you can be great at one thing. The one thing that God has created you to do. The one thing that God has put you here on this earth to accomplish. Look at Ephesians 4 and 29. This is why it's so important, the words that we speak over our relationships. Paul said, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. He said, every word that comes out of your mouth, let it be good. Let it be helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And I think we need to follow the example of Jesus because look at what Jesus did in Mark chapter 10 verse 13 when he got around the children. It said that he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. And can I tell you, I don't believe that when Jesus laid his hand on them and blessed them, I don't think he just said, oh, God bless you. Bless you, honey. Bless you, baby. Bless your heart. No, that's not what he was doing. Because you see, to speak a blessing over a child in the Word of God was to speak prophetically over that child. 
was to speak what that child's destiny was intended to be and to speak that the anointing of God will rest upon your life to be able to accomplish what God has put you here. He will give you the ability. He will enable you. He will give you the power you need to fulfill that. And so Jesus, when he would call these children and put them on his lap, he would lay his hands on them and he would say, you are destined for greatness. You, you have been anointed for greatness. There is a purpose in your life. And maybe even specifically tell them what that purpose was and that God was going to enable them and God was going to empower them. Every time I get around my grandsons, let me tell you what I do. I pick them up. I sit them on my knee. I put my hand on their head and I say, may you grow in wisdom. May you grow in stature. May you grow in favor with God and may you grow in favor with man. May the anointing of God rest upon your life. May you be able to fulfill everything that God has placed you here on this earth to fulfill and may you not get down to the end of your life and the one thing that you spent all of your time doing ended up being the wrong thing because how many people come to the end of their life and find out that the one thing that they spent all of their time on was the wrong thing the wrong thing we need authentic faith we need intentional schedules we need to help our children discover purpose. Listen, it may not be the best thing for your kids to play eight different sports and take dance class too. I didn't think I was going to get too many amens right there. Let's move on. Number four, and this one's so important. Listen, I want you to write this one down. I want you to highlight it. I want you to put a great big star beside it because this is so important, and that's right relationships. Oh, this is so important that you have right relationships in your life, that you have the right people in your life. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you right now and tell you, Jamie and I, we were very strict in this area with our boys. We told our boys, you ain't going to hang out with just any fool. You just ain't going to do it. And I'll tell you why in just a moment, because of a scripture I discovered not long after our boys were born. But we were very strict, and we got pushback from that. Probably one of the biggest things that we got pushback from our boys from because there was, there was just some folk they weren't going to hang out with. We just were not going to allow it. But now that one of them's 32 and the other one's 29, we're reaping the benefits of that. Because I believe when you sow good seed, you're going to reap a good harvest. And you may get a little bit of pushback, but let me tell you something. Later in life, you're going to benefit from that. Look at what the scripture says here in Proverbs 27, 19. It says, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he's really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. You and every one of us here in this room today, we are the sum total of our relationships. We are the sum total of our friends. You show me who your friends are, and I can prophesy over what your future will be. You show me who your kids are hanging out with and I can prophesy over your kids about what their destiny is going to be because relationships are so important. I have young people coming to me all the time. Pastor, what is it that God wants me to do? Pastor, where is it that God wants me to go? And I say to them, listen, the where and the what questions are not the most important question in your life. The most important questions in your life are the who questions. Who are you going to do life with? Who are you going to be hanging out with? Let me show you why that's important. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Associate with fools and you go into jail. (laughs) 
You're going to end up in recovery. Celebrate recovery. You hang out with wise folks, you'll be wise. But you associate with fools. And you're going to get in trouble. Relationships. It's not the what's and the where's. It's the who's. That's the questions that need to be answered. Look look at this next passage of Scripture that Paul gives us in in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Can't. How, How can light live with darkness? It can't. Not in peace and harmony and unity. Listen to me. Let me talk to some of you young ladies this morning who are missionary dating. You say, what's missionary dating? It's dating that guy and saying, I'm going to win him to Jesus. I, and and hey, it, it can be guys. It, it can be guys trying to do the same with a young lady. I'm going to win them. I'm going to win them to the Lord. You know what? You may. It's very rare, but you may. Dating him, thinking you're going to win the Lord. Let me tell you something about that boy. He'll say anything you want to hear, he'll do anything you want him to do to get you. And then once he's got you, he's going to go back to his own sorry self. Somebody help me this morning. I feel like I'm out here on an island by myself today. I'm trying to help some folks this morning. What you need to do is pray that God will bring somebody into your life that's already in love with Jesus, that already knows what their purpose is, that already has an authentic relationship with Him. God can do that if you'll just pray and believe and wait. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching truth today. Amen. Come on, let's look at this last one, this last one. You've got to absolutely have this for every relationship, but especially as parents. You've got to have amazing grace. Amazing grace. And let me tell you why it's called amazing. It's called amazing because it don't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. When I think about the amazing grace of God, Because I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve his blessing. But his grace is not based upon what I deserve. His his grace is based upon what I need. Because if I got what I deserve, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let me tell you something. In any relationship that you have, because we are imperfect people, it's going to take grace for that relationship to last. You see, I don't, I, I don't deserve the forgiveness of God. Because here, here's what I hear so many times with, with folks today in this culture. Well, they don't deserve my love. You didn't deserve God's love. Well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, you didn't deserve God's forgiveness. Well, pastor, you just don't know how they treated me. They don't deserve that. Well, we didn't deserve it either. But because of grace, the unmerited, undeserving favor of God, we receive 
his love. We receive his forgiveness. Not just for things that you've done, but for things that you continue to do. Not intentionally doing, but those times that you, you still continue to fall. Those times that you still continue to make mistakes. I, don't, I can't figure it out. It, it, it's totally against the culture of our day. I, I really can't. I can't figure it out that God loves me so much that even though I'm undeserving, that He still forgives me. He still receives me. He still accepts me. He still wants something to do with me. And listen, you're going to need that in relationships, yeah, because sometimes they don't deserve your love. Sometimes they don't deserve your forgiveness. But you don't base it on what they deserve. You base it on what you've received. And if you have been forgiven, you have no choice as a Christian but to to forgive just as you have been forgiven amen forgive us our debts Lord as we forgive those who have sinned against us look at this passage of Scripture mark 325 because some of you say well there's no way pastor I just can't do it I can't forgive I can't love I can't I can't trust again look the Bible says if a house is divided against itself that house cannot stand so I'm just saying to you this morning that if you can't your marriage can't stand. Your family can't stand. It won't last. It'll be divided, and what's divided will fall. But listen to what Paul said. He said, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I want to read a letter to you this morning. It was left by a young man to his dad. His dad found it on his neatly made bed, folded. Dad opened the letter and he began to read. And here's what it says. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you. I've been finding real passion with Stacy, and she is so nice, but I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, her tattoos, her tight clothes, and because she's much older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy says that we'll be very happy. She owns a camper in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with other people in the commune that we're a part of for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we're praying that science will find a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She sure deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15. And I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back home and visit so that you can meet your many grandchildren. Love, your son Joshua. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report card that's on the kitchen table. <laughs> Call me when it's safe for me to come home. 
Everybody shout grace. grace. Shout grace. grace. Say it one more time, grace. Grace. Listen, I told you I want to close a little differently today. Just stay with me here for a couple of more minutes. Stay with me here for a couple of more minutes. There's a passage of Scripture that I want you to notice here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And if you guys will go ahead and come and get ready to help me close. The Scripture says, for everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Some of you, your mind's going to be blown because the birds didn't write this. You know, to everything, turn, turn, turn. Yeah, no, it's actually Scripture. For everything, there's a season. There's a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance, and we're all familiar with those. But then notice what he says next. He says, there is a time to scatter stones, and then there is a time to gather stones. A time... To scatter stones. Now what is he talking about when he says a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones? Well, it was a practice that they had back in the Old Testament. Go back to Genesis chapter 31. You read about it with Jacob. You remember Jacob flees because he fears for his life. He's deceived his brother Esau and he ends up at his uncle Laban's house. And when he gets to Laban's house, he falls in love with Rachel. And he's told that you're going to have to work for seven years to marry her. He works seven years. Then he himself gets deceived by Laban. Wakes up the day after his wedding and finds that he's in bed, not with Rachel, but with Rachel's sister, Leah. And if he wants to marry Rachel now, he's got to work for another seven years. So that's 14 years that he worked for Rachel. Not necessarily Rachel and Leah, because he was working for Rachel for 14 years. Then for six more years, he served, who is now his father-in-law, taking care of his crops, taking care of his herd. And as long as Jacob was in the house of Laban, God blessed Laban's house. And even when, when Jacob wanted to have his own herd, and he went to Laban and he said, if you just give me the ones that are speckled, the ones that are streaked, the ones that are spotted. Just, just give me those kinds of sheep, and you keep the, 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 the pure ones for yourself. Well, God then began to bless Jacob, and all of them turned out to be spotted and streaked and speckled. But after 20 years in the house of Laban, Jacob decides, I've had enough. He's changed my wages 10 different times. He has deceived me. And he decides, I can't take this anymore. And he decides to leave. And the next morning, Laban gets up and finds that Jacob has taken his two daughters, his grandchildren, all of his possessions, that is the, the possessions that belong to Jacob, and he's headed back to his home where he had fleed from to begin with. But Laban begins to pursue him. And the Lord speaks to Laban. And he said, Laban, whatever you have in your heart to do, don't do it because I have a different plan. And Laban catches up to Jacob, and the first thing he says to Jacob is this. He said, don't you know that I have the power to take you out? So we know what his plan was. 
He was bitter. He was angry. And so was Jacob. Jacob had a lot of hurt and Jacob had a lot of offense and Jacob had a lot of resentment himself. But once Laban caught up to him and shared with him what the Lord said, and they had a conversation, then here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 31 verse 44 that Jacob says, let's come make a covenant, you and I, and it'll be a witness to our commitment. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a monument, a stone much bigger than this one, but he set it up as a monument. And then he told his family members, gather some stones, gather some stones. So they gathered stones and they piled them in a heap. Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to eat the covenant meal. They gathered the stones that represented offense, that represented hurt, that represented bitterness and anger. Because you see, every one of us in this room here today, we have a choice. We will either scatter our offenses or we will gather them and we'll make an altar out of them and we'll take them to God so that God will help us to get past those moments in our lives. What what does that look like? What, What does it look like to gather stones? Well, here's the first thing. We've got to learn how to acknowledge our own mistakes. Because so many times when we're hurt, so many times when we're offended, all we want to do is focus on what that person did to us. But what about our role in it? I know we sometimes think, well, what did I do? I, I've not done anything, but we need to examine what is our role in that. L- listen to what the scripture says, that every one of us have sinned. All of us. That does not exclude any of us here this morning. Every one of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And then Jesus said this. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Here we are trying to get a speck out of a friend's eye when there's a log in our own eye that needs to be dealt with. He said, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So when you come, you gather these stones. You don't scatter your offenses. You you gather them and you, you acknowledge, God, this was my role in this. And you ask the other person to forgive you, just like Jacob and Laban had to do. They both had to come and they both had to acknowledge what they did wrong and make a covenant with one another that it wouldn't happen again. Here's the second thing that gathering stones look like. you got to abandon your right to get even. Because in our culture today, we may say, yeah, I'm going to forgive, but I'm still suing. Listen, Christians don't get revenge. Listen to me. Christians don't get revenge, Christians forgive. You say, that's too radical. Well, that's the Word of God. That's the way Jesus tells us to handle offense in our lives. 
Look at this passage of Scripture in Romans 12, 19. Friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You let God handle it. And you bring that stone of offense and you make an altar out of it. And let God heal your heart. And then here's the last thing that gathering stones look like. You've got to apply God's grace. You've got to do it. They don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it, but you don't give it because they deserve it. You give it because that's what you do, because that's what God did for you. That's what Jesus did for you. And you do to others just as he's done to you and for you. And listen to what John says in John chapter 4. He said, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here's basically what he's saying. He's saying that before you can express love or give love, you've got to receive it. And he's saying that before you can express and give grace, you yourself have got to experience that grace. And I believe that there are some people sitting here, every head bowed, if you would please, every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe that there are some people here this morning who need to experience God's grace. You say, but pastor, I don't deserve it. Pastor, you don't know what all I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know my many failures and my many mistakes. I don't deserve God's grace. Well, you don't receive it because you deserve it. You receive it because of the unconditional, perfect love of God. And He wants to love you in spite of how you feel. He wants to forgive you today. He wants you to gather the stones of offense rather than scattering them. Rather than infecting other people's lives with your offenses. Today the Holy Spirit is saying it's time to gather stones and build an altar where God can heal you and deliver you and set you free. Where God, listen, some marriages here today need this. Are you listening to your pastor? There's some marriages here today that need this, that you need to gather some stones and build an altar and build a monument. You remember when they brought the woman called in adultery to Jesus and he had to say to them, him who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. Because that's what we want to do. We want to throw stones. We want to, we want to cast stones. But it's a time to gather those stones and build an altar where forgiveness can happen, where reconciliation can happen, where deliverance and freedom can happen in that place where you meet with God. Holy Spirit, where would I be you only know I'm glad you see yes I am through eyes of love a hopeless case an empty place 
if not for grace. Sing it with me. Where would I be? You only know. I'm glad you see through eyes of love. Yes, he does. A hopeless case. An empty place If not for grace I like this Amazing grace How sweet the sound I once was lost But now I'm found Not for grace. Ask every person in the room to stand with me today. I just feel like I need to do this right now. I feel like I need to ask every parent in the room to come and join me here at the front. Every parent in this room here today, if you have children, would you come down here with me? An empty place If not for grace Come on, let's sing it as we come Where would I be? You only know I'm glad you see Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.